If you found your place, I'll ask you to stand, and we'll pick up in verse number four this e- 14 this evening. Romans chapter 1, verse number 14. The Bible says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Father, we bow in your presence again this evening and we want to pause for just a moment and thank you, Lord, and magnify your name and worship you for who you are. And Lord God, we're grateful that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord God, there's salvation, Lord, in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no name given among men in heaven or in earth whereby men must be saved, but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's at that name every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Lord, we magnify that name. We magnify His message. And all that He did while He was on this earth and what He even now continues to do as our mediator in heaven. We magnify the Lamb of God. We magnify Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray that, Lord, as we look to the Word of God this evening once again, that You'd give us clarity of thought and understanding to the text that is before us. And I pray that, Lord, You'd be pleased in this time that we have together, Lord, to reveal Yourself to us even more than we already have seen from the Scripture I pray that our knowledge would be full, and I pray our hearts would be filled. And Lord, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God as we leave this place, that we might serve You the week that's ahead of us. Lord, we want to honor You and bless You in all that we do. So may our worship here this evening be found pleasing in Thy sight. And may You get glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach tonight on Paul's three I Am statements. And now you'll find that Paul makes quite a few I am statements throughout all of the writings and his epistles. But we find in these particular three verses, back to back to back, three times Paul says, I am. And I want to deal with that this evening and deal with that thought that Paul speaks about in verse 14, 15, and 16. As I was thinking about this, to every believer... I believe there is a sacred stewardship that has been entrusted to them, and that is a stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may not be called to preach. You may not be called to be a missionary on foreign soil. You may not be called to a, to, to a host of different positions of, of title or ministry. But if you're saved by the grace of God, there's one thing God has entrusted to you, And has called you to be a steward of, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it is incumbent upon each one of us to invest it wisely in our lives and in the lives of those we come into contact with. And not only invest it wisely, but invest it aggressively. I believe we ought to be aggressive in getting the gospel out and into the lives of everybody we come in contact with. Now I'll be the first to admit I fall short of the glory of God in this area. But oh, may we ever be willing and ready to give the answer of the hope that lieth within us to every man. And beloved, it behooves us to be always ready to preach the gospel and when we're called upon to do so, to do so. 
The message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone is like a vast fortune that God has entrusted to you and I. And I think about the parable of the man who went out and buried his talent in the sand and when his master came, he had nothing to show for it. And I don't want to be the kind of person that takes the gospel, the most precious talent that God could ever give anybody, entrust to anybody, and be a poor steward of that message. But I want to share it, and I want to sow it, and I want to get it out there for the eternal reward that it will yield to the glory of God throughout ages to come. And if we're really saved, I don't believe we can hide the good news and bury it in the ground. I believe we have to share it. We've got to preach it. I believe it will resonate even in our lives and how we live. And people will recognize that the work of God's gospel has impacted our lives. And that will be evidenced by how we live our lives. And that only goes to further confirm and back up the message of the gospel that we preach. And all oh, that God would help us to never hide the good news that we've received. And so it is, if you will, instead of hiding that treasure and burying it, we need to put it on display. We need to take it to the marketplace of the world. Wherever that may be, whether it's on the job or whether it's out uh, enjoying the hobbies of life or maybe you're shopping and carrying out the duties of life. Whatever it may be, we need to put that message on display. We must deposit it into the hearts and the lives of individuals. And uh, beloved, nobody will ever be saved apart from hearing the gospel. Nobody will ever be saved apart from hearing the gospel. And so it behooves us to tell them the gospel. For how can they hear except there be a preacher? And if we don't tell people of who Christ is and what He came to do and what He can do for them, they'll never know. And there'll never be the hope of salvation in their life. So we must deposit it. We cannot be hoarders of truth. We cannot be so cold and hard-hearted that we wouldn't share with others what Christ has done for us. But we are to take the sacred message of the gospel and deposit it in the lives of everyone we come in contact with so that we might see it yield eternal fruit for the glory of God. And here's the reason why. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. And we are going to give an account to our Master. And the one who gave us this talent of the Gospel is going to require that we give it back to Him. And how we've kept it and used it will be how we are judged. Have we been good and faithful servants of the Lord? Or were we slothful, unwise stewards of what God has given us? And so when we stand before the Lord on the last day and give an account of what we did with the gospel, I want to be able to say as Paul did, I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. And may God help each one of us to be able to say the same as Paul in the text that's before us here this evening. Remember this, when you stand before the Lord in glory, you're not going to be asked what your pastor did with the gospel You're not going to be asked what the elders of the church did with the gospel or the deacon did with the gospel or the Sunday school teacher did with the gospel. But each of us individually will give an account, an answer to the Lord for how we invested the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you doing with the gospel that you have received this evening? You've received the gospel if you're saved. 
Now you may not be able to articulate it as, as some. You may not have the deep, full understanding of all the major themes of the gospel. But if you've been saved, you at least know that Jesus Christ came, was crucified, was buried, and rose again for you. And that through His sacrifice, His death, His burial, His resurrection, you have been saved by the grace of God. You at least know that, and beloved, that's enough. And so we need to be willing and ready to share it, because one day we will, we will, we will give an account for what we've done with it. You know, it's not enough to just come to church and take notes and it's not enough to be able to articulate what the gospel is, but more than that, the gospel must be invested. It must be put on display. The message of salvation must be proclaimed to a perishing world. They need to hear that Jesus saves. And so we have, with that in mind, Paul gives us three I am statements. I've already mentioned them, but let's look at them in order. Beginning with verse 14, we see his first statement. He says, I am debtor. I am debtor. The word there, debtor, it means to be an ower. (laughs) That's not proper English, but that's literally the idea. It means to be an ower. It means to be in debt to somebody. It carries the idea of being obligated to another. We'll say, Paul, who... Were you obligated to? Who were you indebted to? Who were you a debtor to? Well, he says, I'm a debtor both to the Greek and to who? To the barbarian. Now here he's not trying to offend anybody. Paul's not going out of his way to say, you know, a certain class of people and then all you other heathens out there. Heathens. That's, that's a country way of saying heathen. He, he's not trying to purposely offend somebody. In fact, Paul was very careful not to offend anybody because he already knew the gospel in and of itself is an offense. It's contrary to the very nature of man. And so he went out of his way to be all things to all men that he might win some. And so here Paul, when he says barbarians, that was a term that was just denoted to all groups of people that did not speak Greek. Greek was the common language of the day. He could have just said Gentiles, but he said to the Greek, to those who speak the common language of the known world, it's the trade language, much like English is today, it is the trade language. You go pretty much anywhere in the world and there's going to be at least one or two people that know English to some degree or another. But that's what he's saying. In essence, this is what he means. I'm a debtor to everyone. Whether you speak the common language or whether you're from a nation that has never heard the language of Greek, I'm a debtor to all of you. And so he puts himself out there as being in debt to all men. He goes on and he makes a further more bold statement both to the wise and to the unwise. To those who have has structured knowledge that have been to school, that have been to college. Not everybody had that, especially in the day in which Paul is writing this. There were those who had had maybe some tutelage, some training up as a child and given some knowledge and understanding, but that was few and far between. And writing to the people of Rome, remember he's writing to a people that every three out of five are slaves, so many of them had no understanding And so he's saying, whether you be a a master of a house or a slave, a wise or unwise, I am a debtor to you. He is in essence saying the gospel is to everyone. 
The gospel is not to be held back and given only out on the basis of creed or color or any other thing, but we are to share the gospel with everybody. We are debtors to everybody. Paul does not say we are debtors because we are in debt to God for a loan on temporary grace. Aren't you thankful for that? That's not what he means when he says that he is in debt here. Really, you think about the word debt, nobody wants to be in debt to anybody. I mean, it's the, it's the borrower who is a, a slave to the lender. You never want to be found on the side of being in debt to somebody, for they may call and uh, require that you uh, fulfill your obligation, fulfill your debt. That's not the idea. This is not a negative thing Paul speaks of. It's a positive thing. He's not saying that I'm trying to work my way into heaven by doing all that God's called me to do. I am a debt, and so I must pay off my debt if I'm to make it into heaven. That's not at all what Paul is alluding to. But there are some that live that way. There are some that have that mindset, and they think that God has helped them out a bit, and so they must try to repay Him and essentially earn forgiveness by acts of, of deeds and and kindness and, and that which is deemed righteous in the sight of God. But the Scripture makes it very clear that we cannot be saved by the works of our flesh or by any good deed that we have done, but it's all according to the mercy of God alone. He's not saying here that he is a debtor by way of trying to gain or earn something from God. God is not squeezing the Apostle Paul to get some kind of payment for what Christ did for him. And let me say this evening, the same is true for us. God is not squeezing us to get back some kind of payment for what Christ alone can do for sinners. Instead, we're obligated to grace this evening. We're debtors to grace. Can you relate to that grace that overwhelmed and overcame your heart? Do you relate to the hymn writer when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you relate to those words? Well, if you can, then you are a debtor to grace. All of grace is my story. All the way from earth to glory. Beloved, it's grace that we are what we are. And so Paul goes on to tell us here that we're obligated to grace. Not in the sense or not for repayment. Or else it wouldn't be grace, would it? If it's something you could pay back, that's not grace at all. But that's a disgrace. But we're obligated as recipients of grace to honor God's grace by pointing others to its source. When was the last time you pointed somebody to the source of grace? Because you're obligated to grace to tell others where you found grace. You know, I remember the saying, it's kind of cliche, but... A lot of people, and I know where we come from, I heard it a lot of times growing up, I'm just a, a beggar telling another beggar where I found bread. Well, that's true. If you're saved, God has given you all that you need spiritually. He has sustained you and will sustain you throughout eternity. And why wouldn't you want to tell anyone and everyone you can about the same grace you've received they also can receive? See, the nature of grace forbids repayment. Yet those of us who have experienced grace feel the desire to glory in it. And what better way to glory in the grace of God than to tell others about it? What greater way to glory in Christ than to tell people about Him? 
What better way to pay off our debt to society than to tell them of the everlasting God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, who came and died for them? We could work a million lives and gain the greatest amount of wealth, and all of that wealth put together in a million lives would not do society nearly as much good as telling them about Jesus Christ who saves from sin. That's why Paul said, I am a debtor. I am a debtor to all men. I'm a debtor to grace and I will preach the Word of God as God has called me to. But not only does he say, I am a debtor, but verse 15, he gives us this second statement. I am ready. I think Paul might have used these words as his motto. I remember hearing and reading or reading somewhere about a Saxon king called Ethriel, and that name means unready. He was an unready king. Well, this might have been the motto of Paul's life. Paul the ready. <laughs> he was ready. Be a good study for you to do sometime. There's four places where Paul said this exact phrase, I am ready, and this is one of them. Go look up the other three and do a little study on it. He was ready. What was he ready to do? He was ready to preach the gospel to them that were at Rome also. And here we have the Apostle Paul, the ready. The Lord Jesus, I think about his life. The Lord Jesus had no sooner uh, revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus and called from, uh, from heaven, called to him from heaven. Then you find uh, Saul answering, Lord, what would thou have me to do? He was ready. I mean, just immediately he was ready. He was no sooner converted than he was ready for holy service. No sooner converted than straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues at Damascus. And he begins his earthly ministry ready to serve, ready to do. All through his life, whatever happened to the Apostle Paul, he was always ready. If he had to speak to crowds in the street, he had a fitting word. He was ready. Or if it was to the elite on Mars Hill, to the philosophers, he was ready. He had a word even for them. If he talked to the Pharisees, he knew how to address them. And when he was brought before the Sanhedrin and perceived the Pharisaic and the Sadducean elements in it, he knew how to avail himself of their much jealousy one for another. And he had a word for them. Think of it. Watch him before Felix and Festus and before Agrippa. He's always ready. And when he came to stand before Nero, God was with him to deliver him out of the mouth of the lion. And Paul, once again, he was ready. If you find him on board a ship, he's ready to comfort those in the midst of a storm. If you find him after the shipwreck, he's ready to gather sticks to build a fire on the seashore. Paul was always ready. Whether it was preaching or whether it was encouraging or whether it was laboring or whatever it may be, he was ready. I want my life to be marked as a life of readiness, ready to serve the Lord, whatever capacity. Whether it's digging a ditch or whether it's preaching the gospel, or whether it's visiting a sick invalid or whether it's counseling a suffering saint, I want to be ready. Paul was ready at all points. He is an all-around man and an already man. Always ready to go wherever his master sends him and do whatever his Lord appoints him to do. There's no task too small, insignificant, or overlooked. No task too great or too large in his esteem. He's ready. 
Can you say the same this evening? Are you ready to walk out of these doors and preach the gospel to them that are at Smithville also and Octavia also and Watson also? We know they need it in Watson. And Mina also. And wherever it is you may reside, whomever it is you may find yourself working beside, are you ready to preach the gospel to them also? I want to be ready as Paul was. Paul writes, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach. In other words, he's saying it doesn't matter what anybody else does or doesn't do. As for my part, as for what God's called me to do, I'm ready to preach. And that's the mindset you and I need to maintain when we preach and when we serve and when we minister. That it, again, this is tying into a servant's heart. It does not matter what anyone else is or isn't doing. If God has saved you, you personally are a debtor. Thus, you must be ready. Ready to preach. The word ready here is a Greek word, prothumos. It is a compound word that pictures the forward lean of a runner. It's the idea of pressing forward with the gospel. If we were going to have a race this evening, I would be the judge. I would not be a part of it. But if we were going to have a race, I I don't imagine anybody in the race would walk up to the starting line with their hands in their pocket and just stand as such. I'm ready. Am I ready to run? Benny, is this a stance you want to be in if you're fixing to run? I mean, you ain't even ready to catch a hot dog if somebody throws it at you in this position. But if you're going to run, you're going to get in a stance, aren't you? You're probably going to lean over, get your weight out in front of you just a little bit. Don't get your weight out in front of you as far as I did on the ball court the other evening. Some of you saw that. To my shame, I toppled head over heels. But get a little weight out in front of you because you're ready to explode. I'm not going to do it, but when we're in track, I tell people that I ran track and they look at me funny. And I said, well, I threw the shot put and did the discus. (laughs) I don't think they're too surprised when I tell them that. But uh, we would watch the other guys run while we were over there throwing the shot put. And when they would get ready to run, what would they do? They would get down in that stance, one foot back, one foot forward, their hands on the line beside their forward foot. And they're ready to explode up out of that stance and run. That's the idea of this word ready. It's like Paul is just, he's nipping at the heels. Lord, I'm ready. I want to preach. Let me preach. Let me preach. You know, that may be to our shame, isn't it? How often do we go through the drive through at the McDonald's and, oh, Lord, I can't wait for this car to move. I want to tell them about Jesus. No, we're usually saying, I got somewhere to be. I wish they'd hurry up. They got my order wrong. He was ready to preach. This is the way I want to be in my life. I want to be ready. The main root word for this word ready is the same word for passion. It literally means heavy breathing. Carries the idea of being overly eager. The word gives the picture of a horse. And you can think and maybe imagine in your mind the, the war horse of days gone by as it's heavy breathing. It knows it's about to go into battle. It knows that it's about to be in the midst of bloodshed and heavy activity. And its heart rate begins to rise and it begins to breathe. And it's ready to run headlong fearlessly into battle. That's how Paul was here. He said, I'm ready. I'm getting worked up. I'm so ready. 
I wonder, are you ready to preach the gospel? Are you eager? That's really the idea of the word eagerness. Are you eager to preach the gospel? I think if we're not careful, we can enjoy the blessings of God for so long and we can grow to know the gospel to the point that it really is an old message that doesn't quite have the same effect on us that it did at its first. And we can grow cold if we're not careful. And we can lose an interest and lose an earnestness and lose an eagerness in preaching the gospel. I thought about how if everybody in the world is a witness for Christ, or if nobody in the world is a witness for Christ, it does not matter whether anybody is doing all they can or nobody's lifting a finger. You need to be ready to preach. I need to be ready to share. We need to be ready to witness. We need to be eager to let others know about what Christ did for us and what He can do for them. Every one of us needs to be able to say, as for me, I am ready. It's one thing to have an obligation to pay a debt, but it's something else to be eager to pay it off. And uh, if you ever know from a human perspective how detrimental debt can be, you will be eager to pay it off and not looking to go in further. Beloved, we have a greater motivation than just being free But we are already free. Grace has already set us free. We have already been given liberty. We're already set free from the bondage of sin. And that, beloved, is our motivation. We want to give others the gospel that we've received because we know what it can do for them. Because we know what it's done for us. And so may God help us to be as Paul was ready. To be eager I think of some folk, uh, a lot of times, I believe the mindset is, well, I'll just witness and get it over with. But that's something that's foreign to a spirit-filled, word-filled Christian mind. And again, I know we can get there at times, but if you'll get back in the book and you'll get full of the Holy Spirit and you'll get prayed up, you'll be at the same place Paul was here. It's one thing to say, well, I guess I'll go and tell somebody about Jesus. It's another thing to be spring-loaded, setting on ready, eager to tell others all about Christ. It's one thing to have the gospel gun loaded with a hairpin trigger and be ready to pull it. And that's how Paul was. He was shooting the gospel everywhere he went. And he was hitting all that he could. And beloved, that's how we ought to go forth, that ought to be the mentality that we use when given the gospel is let's get it to as many people as we can with the hope that they'll hear it and respond. May God help us to do this and be like Paul. Have a heart motivated by the grace of God to tell others about Christ. And so he says, I'm debtor. He says, I am ready. I am eager. I am obligated. But then thirdly, we find this evening in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. We find the first one was, I am a debtor. Second one, I am ready. But then we come to this statement. It says, I'm not ashamed. Notice, just before we, we get into this phrase, the impact of these words. I am. I am. 
He does not say, I will be not ashamed. He does not say that I am hoping to be not ashamed, as if one day he will finally be that. He does not say, one day I will arrive at this. But Paul declares in the present tense, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is his constant state. It was the habitual lifestyle of Paul. Every day he woke up and looked in the mirror and said, Paul, you're a debtor to all men because of the grace of God. He looked around and said, I am ready. There's nothing holding me back. There's no stakes too deep in this earth that I am not ready at the drop of a hat to preach the gospel if it means I'll draw my last breath on earth. And in the same respect, he said, I am not ashamed of the message that I'll preach, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul makes this statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's interesting, it's in the negative, isn't it? And in the negative, he uses a rare form of speech known as a latotis, I think's how you say it. L-I-T-O-T-E-S. For those of you that are English majors. You can explain that to the rest of us after the service. But this expression, uh, it's often used to drive home a point. And this is how it's used. It's an understatement. This is what Webster's Dictionary said, especially that in which an affirmative is expressed by a negative. And so in other words, it's like somebody saying, well, how'd you like the cake? Not bad at all. Now, that's kind of a strong way of saying it was really good. But you're using a double negative to put forth a positive. Not bad at all. Now, if you just said not bad, your wife might smack you for that one. But not bad at all. Well, that carries a strong statement. That's what this is saying. It would have not carried the same impact if he'd have said, you know, I'm proud of the gospel. I'm excited about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is a deliberate understatement here before us, using the double negative. He's combining the word ashamed with the word not. Both of these are negatives. If you're ashamed of something, that's a negative thing. If you're you're using the word not, that's a negative notation. This actually means the total opposite of being ashamed of the gospel, though. He states it dramatically that he is unashamed of the message of salvation to get the point across that there's really not words to describe how eager and desirous he is to preach that message. Isaiah 55 verse 11 uses the same expression or use to get a point across. In Isaiah 5.11 it uses this here. When it says that God's word will not return unto him void. The word not's negative. The word void is not, is also negative. And so you have two negatives there. That's getting this figure of speech across that states the truth with an especially strong effect that literally means it will powerfully perform everything God sets it forth to do. God's word will not return void. That means it's going to powerfully perform everything that he intends it to perform. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I am ready to preach with everything that's in me, as much as in me is. Instead of repeating himself again, he gives a double negative. I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Paul could have simply said, I'm fired up for the gospel, but that doesn't quite have the same oomph to it. Or he could have said, I'm excited and eager to preach the gospel. Still, not the same idea. There's a far greater impact to put it with a double negative. I am not ashamed of the gospel. What do you mean, Paul? There's nothing that will ever arise in the gospel ministry that would cause me to step away and stop preaching and declaring it. Why, does his life not illustrate that for us? Do we not see that in the Word of God? Was he not stoned to death, drug out of a city, left for dead? And when he came to, he stood up and started preaching again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He'd be called to stand before kings and rulers, Festus, Felix, Agrippa, Nero, the greatest men of that day. But he didn't stand there with quabbling knees and a shaking voice. He powerfully preached the Word of God because he wasn't ashamed of it. Paul may have found plenty of reason to be ashamed of himself or ashamed of his own abilities or ashamed of his past. But he was not ashamed of the message that had rescued him from religion and self-centeredness and brought him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know anything of the Gospel, then you know this. You cannot be ashamed of it. Because it's the very thing that has delivered you from your sin and saved you by God's grace. Say, Paul, why are you a debtor to all men? How is it you're ready, Paul, to preach the gospel to them at Rome? Say, Paul, why are you not ashamed of that gospel? Well, this is why. This is how. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. And it is through that gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. Even from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. And that's why he was a debtor. That's why he was ready. And that's why he was not ashamed. It was because he knew what he had to preach was the only thing that delivers men from their sin. And it's the only thing that reveals the righteousness of God in Christ to men. And all other messages will prove to fall on deaf ears except for the message of the gospel. And so I ask you tonight in closing, are you a debtor? Do you know something of grace and are you a debtor to that grace? And then I'd also ask you, are you ready? Are you eager? Like a runner on the line, ready to, as soon as you hear the fire of the shot, take off. Sharing the gospel everywhere you go. I tell you what we're fixing to do, we're fixing to close in prayer. And at the sound of the amen, I hope you're eager to go out and preach the gospel to them that are wherever you live also. And make sure you can say along with Paul, I am not ashamed. That word ashamed is the same word it's used, I think, seven or nine times. I don't remember what I looked up. But I think four of those seven or nine times I know for a fact is in Mark's gospel and again in Luke's gospel. Matthew or Mark, Luke. When he says, if you'll be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. Very strong word and Paul says this, I'm not ashamed. Remember, if you're ashamed of Him, He'll be ashamed of you when you stand before His Father. So let's be eager and ready. Let's be obligated, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of grace. And let's not be ashamed. The three I am statements of Paul.